instead of targeting an entire zip code or entire city, you can target people that are going to a very specific location. And the concept is that the people that are going to that location is give you some insights into their intent to buy. So a great example is if you're a car dealer, right? You may be a car dealer should be coming to me and say, hey, I want to reach people that are in market looking to buy a car. I say, okay, great. Let's geofence other car dealerships that's within your five mile zip code or five mile area. Why would you do that? Mostly because people that are going to car dealerships are in market looking to buy a car. Seven to eight times out of 10, essentially. So the use cases are endless. I mean, there's so many different applications and we're not, we're literally talking about targeting people in very, very precise areas. I mean, we can literally build a virtual fence around the contours of a building. And when someone walks inside that geofence location, we're able to capture their mobile device ID and begin serving ads to them, both while they're inside the geofence and then for up to 30 days after they leave that geofence. What's going on, millionaires? You're listening to the Million Dollar Mind Podcast, episode 195 on the future of digital marketing. We have Justin Croxton in the building, who is the managing partner and CEO of Propellant Media and also a leader in the geofencing marketing industry. Now, I'm not sure about you, millionaires, but for me, geofencing marketing is just uh totally foreign to my understanding. So I'm super excited to have this conversation with Justin as he gives us some gems and some knowledge on what geofencing is and how it can be a, a strong tool for, you know, building a brand and building a business and bringing that exposure and awareness to your brand and business as well. And then the last fact is he's an expert in omni-channel media and data targeting. So Justin, I'm gonna pass the mic for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about what these terms mean, like geofencing, omni channel and why they're so important especially in today's age with you know building a brand and a business yeah absolutely and uh, uh i certainly appreciate that introduction i think for for me um you know as i talk to folks about geofencing the, the best example that i can give is that in in the world of marketing and digital advertising you're just trying to take your ad dollars and concentrate it to the target audience that you want to have the conversation with right mm -hmm. And so, you know, some people do Google ads, some people do Facebook advertising. Geofencing effectively allows you to target people in very precise areas. And so the concept is that instead of targeting an entire zip code or entire city, you can target people that are going to a very specific location. Mm -hmm. And the concept is that the people that are going to that location is give you some insights into their intent to buy. So a great example is if you're a car dealer, right? You may be a car dealer should be coming to me and say, hey, I want to reach people that are in market looking to buy a car. I say, okay, great. Let's geofence other car dealerships that's within your five mile zip code or five mile area. Why would you do that? Mostly because people that are going to car dealerships are in market looking to buy a car mm -hmm. seven to eight times out of 10, essentially. So the use cases are endless. I mean, there's so many different applications and we're not, we're literally talking about targeting people in very, very precise areas. I mean, we can literally build a virtual fence around the contours of a building. And when someone walks inside that geofence location, we're able to capture their mobile device ID and begin serving ads to them, both while they're inside the geofence and then for up to 30 days after they leave that geofence. 
And what I typically recommend to folks just kind of get an experience of it is open up your mobile phone, go to the Weather Channel app. If you scroll down, those are the kinds of ads that are being delivered to you, essentially. And that's kind of the world of geofencing advertising. You go inside of a location, mobile device ID gets captured, assuming your location services and your mobile device is turned on. In that moment, we have the capacity to serve an ads to you. Hopefully it's relevant, um, but it's a little bit more of a passive experience, essentially. And that's what is an agency we've led with for the last you know, five, six plus years since our inception. I mean, we do paid search, paid, you know, social, Facebook, Instagram advertising, TikTok, you know, Twitter advertising, those kinds of things as well. But, you know, when you're, you know, both a black owned agency, but just an agency in general, you're trying to figure out how can you differentiate yourself? And this is how we differentiated ourselves. And so we lead with this, we do OTT advertising, but, you know, that's what we focus on, but we do a lot of the other services as well. Mm, okay. And when you say like OTT advertising, is that like, so I'm familiar with it's over the top, over, over top. the top, gotcha. over the top. Yeah. So like connected TV over the top, connected TV advertising, where if you are streaming, if you have a streaming app or if you have Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, you know, what's so great about this space now is like the small business owner can now advertise on those streaming apps and websites. Mm-hmm. So you no longer have to be, you know, this behemoth of a company to serve ads to someone across streaming devices, essentially. I mean, you're basically taking advantage of the audience targeting capabilities that are available with over-the-top connected TV advertising nowadays, which is which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So that's what OTT advertising essentially is. Got it, got it. That makes sense. And I appreciate the clarity on that one, Justin. And um, I mean, before I continue, did I say your last name right? Croxton. Croxton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you said right. it right. All right, perfect, perfect, yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, welcome, welcome, Justin, to you know, to the uh, to the platform. I'm super excited to really dive in on you guys' story and you know, just learn a little bit more about your experiences, what dove you into this industry altogether. Yeah. Uh, and to our millionaires that are tuning in to, for the first time, welcome back to the Million Dollar Mind Podcast. This is the number one community for self mastery and abundance by having million dollar conversations with really dope people like the one we about to have with Justin. And you're in the right place if you're here for money making tips and tricks to living a more passionate life so uh tell us about your earlier experiences justin like what has molded you into you know the entrepreneur you know joining us today and you know more more importantly jumping into you know this industry that you're in right now sure so a little bit of my background um i'm from philadelphia uh born and raised um, was fortunate enough to go to Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, full full ride. So I was definitely fortunate with that. Um, once I graduated, I always knew I wanted to work in commercial real estate initially. So I got a job with Jones Lang LaSalle. They're a full service commercial real estate firm, offices all around the world. Um, but start working at the office here in Atlanta, Georgia. And what kind of inspired me from that was my dad. He would always drive me to school when in elementary school. My dad was an entrepreneur as well. My, my mother was an, was an educator. And my dad was an entrepreneur, um, but he would drive me to school and I always see these big buildings. I was like, man, I want to be a developer or I want to work in real estate someday. And so that kind of fueled my passion uh, to kind of want to design my own life because a lot of people who graduated from college didn't really just get into commercial real estate, let alone if I'm being straight about it, let alone, you know, African-Americans or, or folks that are of, of, of ethnic descent. In fact, particularly here in the Southeast <laughs> or in Atlanta for that matter. So I was really fortunate. I got a job 
Um, uh, but I kind of knew that I wanted to go back to business school. So I'm, I sort of kind of still worked my way up the ranks at Jones Lang LaSalle, but, you know, you know, felt like it was time for me to go to business school. So I applied, got accepted to a number of schools, ended up going to NYU Stern School of Business up in New York, mm -hmm. um, got my MBA, I went to the full-time program. Before I did that, though, um, while I was working in commercial real estate, I saw there was an opportunity to do marketing for some of the buildings that I was representing. I was sort of like an agency leasing broker. So I was leasing high-rise and mid-rise office buildings for um, for office, you know, for, for REITs and folks that own these large buildings. Mm -hmm. And that idea of just marketing was just fascinating. The concept of just, you know, not just, you know, helping lease a building just, you know, with just straight blocking and tackling and building relationships with other brokers, but be able to market a building, you know, through email marketing and things of that nature was really fascinating. And so once I got into business school, I knew that was kind of an area that I wanted to go into. And, you know, it is, it's, uh, you know, there were certainly a lot of other options such as, you know, focusing on, you know, you know, going into finance because that's a lot of things that my colleague, my, my classmates would go into. They'd focus on finance jobs, investment banking, brand manager type of jobs. I didn't really want to do that. I kind of wanted to have my own agency. And so, you know, back in 2012, I actually started my own like Justin Q. Croxton brand. Like as if I'm like working with some small business owners that are looking for Google ads or search engine optimization for their own companies. Um, and, you know, it was tough getting those first initial clients, but the rest is history. Um, you know, now I, I don't formally work on that. Q Commerce is the name of the company. Mm -hmm. um, I now have a larger agency with some other partners effectively. But, you know, after that, once I graduated from business school, I continued with the Q Commerce brand, but then after that, that's when I really ended up focusing on you know this larger partnership with these other guys that's here in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. and the rest is history, um, right. and it's been it's been a fascinating, it's been a great experience thus far. Wow, I love it. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, I, I I knew it was something you know outside of you know the the very interesting you know uh, industry that you're in um, and, and and the topics that you guys use to. Um, you know, to connect with us, but I didn't know you were from Philadelphia. I'm from Philadelphia as well. And there so, you go. yeah, I would love to know, uh, like at what point when you, when you uh, went to school at Morehouse, was that like your first time, you know, living outside of, you know, the state of Pennsylvania? And if so, um, was that like your first time, you know, what was the, the, the environment like, and how did that help you with, you know, your independency with, you know, moving and then living, you know, so far away from home? It was definitely my first time living outside of, you know, living with my parents, basically, or let alone, you know, Philadelphia, effectively. Mm -hmm. And look, man, I, I love Philly, but man, I'm glad. It is what it is. I'm, sad. It I'm is, sure we yeah, had the same just, experience. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, it's, it's not fun going to high school and then like seeing fights and just, you know, you know, stuff going on all the time. It's like, I, I need to be around that all the time. Right. You know, um, and just knowing that I could go to Atlanta and be part of a network, um, particularly within Morehouse, because it's, it's really is like a brotherhood. Mm -hmm. You know, you get to, you know, forge these relationships with all these other, you know, smart brothers who are all, you know, it's about camaraderie, but it's all about helping one another out. And you're, you're amongst like really sharp guys effectively. Mm -hmm. 
And so the the chance to, you know, fraternize, to, you know, go to parties, have fun, you know, all that, but do that, feel like you're doing that as part of a, of a bigger community mm-hmm. was huge. You know, you don't, you don't really see a lot of fights and a lot of crap that happens on campus. Um, so I think the ability to gain some level of independence can stem a lot from the college that you go to. Mm-hmm. And being able to go from Philadelphia, where I was living with my, you know, my brother, you live with my parents, and you know, you know, you know, that's a great experience, obviously. But then mm-hmm. you have to, you know, make that leap <laughs> and be independent. Um, so having that support system and going to Morehouse was 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 a huge impetus outside of like what my parents did to get me to the place where I could, in fact, become an independent human being, mm-hmm. do well in school, all those different things. Right. Right. All right. Millionaires, entrepreneurs, moguls, philanthropists, managers, even. Right. I want to encourage you to purchase my book, Lead from the Front, because it is essential if you want to learn how to be an effective leader, not just for others, but for yourself as well. Learning the tools or the importances, I should say, of accountability, discipline. We have so many resources and tools that are in the book to help you give better feedback, give more genuine feedback, you know, hold yourself to a higher standard and hold others to a higher standard without making them feel like you're the person that tells a lot, but doesn't lead by example. And that's what the whole purpose of the book is to lead from the front. So if you haven't already, go check out my book, lead from the front. You can find it on my website at www.kaispeaks.com. It'll be right there at the top. Right. Right. And then, you know, also, you know, being at an HBCU like Morehouse and like you said, you know, having that camaraderie and brotherhood, I'm I'm sure it even also helped with just like that earlier, you know, that identity piece too, like seeing, you know, brothers that look like you, you know, have maybe similar experiences and then just being able to think and talk on a higher level uh, and and bring certain things together. I'm sure that played a huge part uh, as well. Um, Would you say, so where, where what would you say some of the most effective methods have worked for you as far as now having the partners that you have with propellant, you know, what played a huge part in being able to find those partners, you know, get those partners on board with the vision and the mission that you might have had, you know, for those that are looking into, you know, partnership and not necessarily wanting to start a brand, build a brand up, you know, by themselves, what, yeah. what would be some advice you would give to, to that individual? Yeah. Um, you know, the partnership that I forged uh, was a little bit more by happenstance. There was one guy that brought us all together and I wasn't even like, I even tell you like all the other companies, like I had another, you know, million dollar, um, uh, you know, million dollar e-commerce brand that I was running before, mm-hmm. you know, before even starting propellant media effectively. But when I really started to see kind of like what was possible with propellant, that's when like, <laughs> you know, you know how it is like, you know, your time for propellant goes up and then the bar brat goes down and, you know, the rest is history. Um, but when it came to the partners, you know, is, you know, one, one is like, you know, making certain that you're partnering with folks that, that share the same value system. Like these are good people, you know, they're of high integrity. Sometimes you don't always know that. Um, but the best thing that you can do, you know, in any partnership is like start off with like, and it sounds simple, but putting down a list of what you expect, like setting your expectations of the partnership mm-hmm. and where you want to go. And just having that conversation it doesn't have to be like a formal document. It can just be write down what you expect, where you want things to go, what happens if one person's not pulling their weight. Having those conversations on the front end, I wish we did have those conversations a little bit more forcefully. Mm-hmm. Even when 
you know, even when like you're just, it might just be an idea and you don't even know, like, what if that idea turns into that hundred million dollar idea and one person has 25% of equity, but they're not, or, or 80% or whatever the number is, but you know, you don't feel like that person is, is really given value commensurate with that equity. Right. Uh, so just having a simple conversation and having those expectations on a sheet of paper, you know, and then like sign the paper, like whatever it is, like write it up, but like everyone's on the same page and, you know, everyone's sort of working towards the shared vision in terms of execution, shared responsibility, accountability, things of that nature versus, okay, we'll see how this goes and nothing's written down. I wish we would have done that sooner, but, you know, I'm with a good group of guys anyway, so it's not too concerning, but having, having just that discussion alone will make a huge difference in the partnerships that you forge with people. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, even added on to what you said, Justin, it sounds like with those expectations, also getting a list of your non-negotiables as well, because right. I think in the back of our minds, a lot of people have these non-negotiables, but, you know, don't look them at, you know, don't look at them as non-negotiables and don't know how to communicate them up front, you know, to where we end up sacrificing or, you know, bending on those non-negotiables to where it may seem like we're getting the the shit end of the stick, you know, uh, right. in a lot of cases as well. Yeah. Uh, switching okay. gears just a little bit. Do you, um, in this age that we're in, this digital age, this information technology age, do you feel like, you know, this is the prime or we're really just in the beginning of what this, you know, information technology era can, can really bring for a lot of businesses and, and entrepreneurs? I mean, I don't think it's in the prime. I also don't think it's in the beginning. I think it's kind of like, you know, steady, it's, steady you know, it's, it's, it's sort of a steady up right now because I'm still always fascinated by the number of companies that don't do any digital still, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the companies that haven't done even just Google ads, you know, maybe they've done Facebook or maybe they haven't. And there's a ton of folks that haven't done anything in geofencing for sure. Um, and so as, as the innovation continues to take shape, you know, across the board, you know, there's more people that just haven't heard about those new innovations and they want to pull that into their omni-channel, you know, marketing strategies effectively. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, I think we're just scratching the surface. Um, I, I, I don't think it's at the beginning. I don't think it's at the prime. I think it's still like in the, on that incline, mm -hmm. you know, as more companies get smarter about their, their marketing investments and shifting more, more and more dollars towards some of those digital channels because more and more people are consuming content online. Mm -hmm. um and you know you know you have to meet people where they are and they're on facebook they're on instagram they're doing their searches they're consuming content on youtube and streaming channels and you want to get in front of that right audience right essentially but there's so many people that aren't doing that and so that's why i say it's not at the beginning but it's also not at the prime right if you will no that makes sense and then you know even with people consuming you know data and information on their phones is now like you mentioned like having smart tvs and you know apple tvs and all these streaming devices and these apps that you can now uh utilize at home without your phone um is that what you kind of mean by omni-channel you know by having these interfaces or these integrations that are accessible to all devices all networks all platforms so omnichannel, um, it's it's uh, you can look at it's it's like they people use the connotations a little differently. So right. I think to your point, you know, it's it's like it's two different ones. It's like multi-channel and omnichannel. But multi-channel, to your point, looks at a lot of different devices like computer, desktop, tablet, streaming, 
devices, big screen, all that. That's one bucket, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I think of omnichannel, I think of not just serving, not just as an advertiser serving ads on one channel like Google, I'm doing omnichannel where I'm doing big screen, small screen, I'm doing direct mail, I'm doing you know, Facebook advertising, Instagram, TikTok, I'm doing omni-channel, all these different digital channels because that consumer is experiencing content or looking for a problem that they need to have solved across all those different channels. Mm -hmm. Or they're, they're part of an audience that fits the person that I want to have that conversation with. And so if I put all my eggs in just one basket, you know, I'm increasing the likelihood that I'm not able to, you know, really forge that relationship with that person you know, if you will, versus if I'm hitting them on multiple places, now I'm like, wow, I can't, this brand is in front of me all the time. You know, what, what am I going to do? Even when you probably went to our website and you left, I don't know if you did go to our site, but if you did, you know, you'll, you'll, if, you, if you went to propellant.media today, you will get hit with ads on every single channel from TikTok to Facebook to you know, Google Display Network, our own programmatic, we serve ads through OTT advertising. It just consumes someone to really think of you, assuming that I am hitting the right audience. That's what I think of when I say omni-channel um, marketing or omni-channel advertising. Got it, got it. So now I think I'm getting the gist of it, Justin. So if I'm like, so once once the, I'm just gonna, I'm not sure if this is the right term, but you know, forgive me, once the algorithm picks up a, a person as a lead and they go into your bucket it will now pretty much suck that person into where they're going to get you know hit with you guys content uh you know ads messaging from everywhere that they consume content correct so for instance if like if i went to let's say if you guys have a youtube channel and i went to repellent media's youtube channel would that also then now when i go on facebook i see it ad on facebook and instagram etc etc et it's definitely potentially you can set something up like that. There is there's a way to do that, I believe. Um, I also we also do you know YouTube retargeting. So even if you just went to our website, mm -hmm. we can retarget you if you go to YouTube or if you go to other channels that that stream video essentially. Mm -hmm. So you know there's a lot of opportunity uh, to hit people um, in different ways based on the content that you have and the platforms that those people are going to. Okay. So what would you say like the are the best industries or the best um you know markets or businesses that pair with you know the geofencing marketing uh tactic? If 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 you're talking about geofencing specifically, um I'd say the best ones are car dealerships. Um I would also say healthcare, uh higher education is a really good one as well. We do a lot of work in that space, brick and retail and mortar. So if you have just a physical location because one thing I didn't mention is we can also, with geofencing, we can measure foot traffic back to a physical location. So we can t tell you if someone saw or clicked on your ads and then came back to your actual physical location, essentially, mm -hmm. which is nice. And so now, you know, I'm able to provide some level of attribution to the impact that the ads are having on a client's campaign. Um, we also do a lot of work in the political space, um, political advocacy um, work as well. And so geofencing has its place there as well. Um, those are the main, those are the big ones, I would mm. say. You know, if you have a retail physical location, you know, there's a ton of opportunity with geofencing. Some people ask me about B2B. Eh, 
you know, I, I, it's a little touch and go, quite frankly. Um, but if it's part of a bigger channel um, strategy, such as like Google Ads and Facebook, possibly for sure. Um, but I certainly wouldn't do like geofencing as its own strategy for B2B. Instead, I would shift those dollars to like Google Ads or Facebook, things of that nature. Maybe even like HubSpot, which is a which is a software platform, but that's a whole nother conversation. Got it. Got it. So I think what I was doing, I think I was confusing geofencing what we, what we were just talking about of like um, the omni-channel target. Oh, omni-channel. Oh, yeah. well, if you're talking about omni-channel, like, you know, trying to reach people across multiple channels, mm -hmm. definitely B2B. I mean, any, any and all brands, quite frankly, but specifically B2B technology, someone who's like, I'm trying to generate leads for myself. If, if you're in the, in the mindset that I need to generate leads and those leads go down a funnel to translate into, you know, a sale or someone that's going to, you know, become a client or a customer of mine, omnichannel is where you need to be at. But I tell people a lot of times you need to still focus on those channels that are lower funnel, meaning, you know, if you look at the marketing funnel, right, you have brand awareness at the top, engagement, and then in market, like a customer's right. in market. Mm -hmm. Those things that are in market are typically like site retargeting, Google ads, Facebook advertising. Those things are like lower funnel. Put more of your dollars towards those areas while also putting some dollars towards those middle of funnel tactics such as geofencing. There's other tactics within that space that, that can have an impact as well. Um, but I hope the answer is a question. Definitely a little more of the B2B side. You're still going to, you're, you know, the omni-channel is absolutely relevant. Um, but that's usually sort of the way that I go about it when I'm, you know, consulting or, you know, we're having conversations with the clients from a, from a digital strategy standpoint. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. So it's, it's kind of like, um, so it's kind of like geofencing fits into omni-channel, but not all omni-channel is geofencing. Exactly. Got exactly. it. Okay. Now, like now Omni, like Omni Channel is like all of these tactics right. across the board, whereas geofencing is like one of the tactics that could fit within an Omni Channel marketing plan. So this is more like geofencing is more like if I have a brick and mortar for like a clothing brand, and you know, once customers come into my storefront, they're automatically hit with like a, a fifteen percent off, you know, either text or email, or they might see an ad on Facebook that says get fifteen percent off in this store, something like that. Something like that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that is correct. Okay. Okay. Got it. That, that, that makes a lot more sense. So what does that process for creating a geofence look like? Yeah. Like so, so the process, and I was, I was alluding to it a little bit, a little earlier, mm -hmm. but part of the process is when we build a virtual fence around a physical location and you walk inside that location, we're capturing your mobile device ID. And at that point, we're able to serve as to you both while you're inside the geofence and then for up to 30 days after you've left that geofence location. So it doesn't have to be just when you're at the store. It can be like you've left the store and now, you know, you're at home, you're dilly-dallying, you're on Angry Birds, where it's the Friends, the Weather Channel, Wall Street Journal, Huffington Post, Daily Mail, and you're getting hit with an ad from that same clothing store or from a brand that may be selling a product inside of that clothing store effectively. And so the idea is that you're, you as a consumer 
like if you go to forever 21 right and let's say that's a mostly a, a you know a woman's you know retail location right and it's mm-hmm. you know it's really people that are between ages of 21 and 25 and just you know spitballing here and you say to yourself you know i really want to build awareness to those people that's a great example or if you are a real estate developer we do great with real estate developers real estate developer says hey i know of 10 other competitor communities that are being built as we speak and i want to build virtual fences around those locations when people who people who go to those locations are most likely looking to buy a home they're not driving there some may drive there to you know window shop but if you're going to a, a development that's currently under construction you are someone looking to buy a house so as the developer client, I would then say, I want to reach those people. And what's even better is you are in market. Like you drove there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's nothing that's, that shows me this. You, someone's more in market than you driving to a location. Um, and so that's sort of the context around geofencing. That's the process effectively. And the type of ads that are typically delivered, they can be both video but they're typically static ads. It's not text messages. We're not sending a text message to someone. That's a little bit more intrusive. Um, unless someone gave us their, you know, through other advertising, gave us their, you know, their their phone number, of course. Right. But outside of that, it's more of a passive experience. You'll see the ads on mobile apps and websites, such as Angry Birds, Words of Friends, The Weather Channel, so forth and so on. Mm, okay. Now, I... I... I think you might have uh, said something along these lines, but I, I just want to reiterate. So uh, is this also like if I identify that that Forever 21 customer is, is my ideal, is also my ideal client, am I allowed to, you know, build a geofence for myself in that location? Or is that only um, is that specifically reserved for uh, Forever 21? No, anybody can geofence anybody. Hmm. Now, now to say that more directly, you can't like, like there are certain laws that prevent you from doing certain forms of advertising. So for example, I can't, you can't like geofence elementary schools. Why? Because, you know, because of COPA laws, you can't geofence places where there are children under the age of 13, Mm -hmm. you know, so things of that nature, you can't do that. Right. Um, Or if you like, let's say, for example, if you have a certain health ailment, you know, or, you know, you know, something along those lines, I can't like geofence, like a neurological center, you know, because I'm, I'm taking advantage of like a prognosis that you experience. And then I'm trying to sell you a product that can help you with that prognosis or how, what you've been diagnosed with. Mm-hmm. That's something else that, that can run afoul, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of other cases where it's like, Hey, I am leveraging your location to tell me that you will, could be in market for this type of a service or a product, or you fit a certain audience segment. And thus, I want to get my message directly in front of you. Mm-hmm. Those are cases where, you know, obviously there's there, there, there are always going to be certain forms of advertising you can and can't do. Mm-hmm. But from that perspective, um, you know, those are some examples where, you know, sort of fair game. Okay. Now, I know that um, more so recently, especially, um, you know, in the last six to 12 months where you have the increase in, you know, uh, cases of sex trafficking uh, and stuff like that. I know that you have, you know, women and, you know, different uh, channels that do these videos about, you know, turning location services off. Does that affect, you know, how effective the geofencing can work? It definitely does. So like if you have your location services um, turned off, 
or if when you go to a mobile app, like all your location services for your all your mobile apps are turned off, which is kind of hard to do because like you need your location services for like Google Maps and like different games that you might play. So it does become difficult. But if your location services is turned off, it makes it more challenging for servers to capture your mobile device ID, essentially. Mm. And basically what's happening is like your mobile device ID is getting pinpointed at a latitude and longitude coordinate mm. effectively. And then when that goes to the software, when that goes into the data database, you know, that's then saying, okay, this person fits our audience. So we want to serve an ad to that person. If your location services is turned off, you can't get captured essentially. Okay. Now the next question is, well, what if everybody turns their location services off? That's not going to happen. It's like, it's, I mean, I'd say like since iOS 14 dropped, Maybe we've seen about 15 to 20, 20%, you know, impact. Um, but it's really hasn't been so much so where, you know, we've seen a drop in, in business across the board. Um, so that's just one thing to be kind of cognizant of and, and, and aware of. Mm, makes sense. I mean, yeah. I, and now you even have devices like Apple Watches too uh, that might connect. Does an Apple Watch connect to the, does that share the address of the phone or how, how does that work? I can't really speak to the Apple Watch. I mean, most of the work that we focus on has more to do with the, where the mobile the mobile phone is and the mobile okay. device of the phone itself. Okay, got it. That makes sense. Now, uh, you you work a lot with you know with different brands and, and different businesses, Justin, uh, especially in that you know marketing uh, space. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you have seen that businesses are making when creating <clears throat> these different marketing campaigns and these different tactics? Biggest mistake that I see someone make is having a crappy website <laughs> with with like no content, no personality, nothing of value. So it's two things. Mm. And it kind of fits to our story at Propellant Media. So kind of hear me out for a second. When we were founded in 2015, roughly 2016, I mean, we were struggling. I mean, we were, I mean, like I had my bar brat business and I also had Q Commerce. And so I was still kind of like doing relatively well. But you know, on the propellant media side, you know, we were just kind of like blocking and tackling, trying to, you know, build relationships one person at a time, but we didn't really have a lot of credibility in the market space, mm -hmm. you know, for propellant media. We were trying to go after, you know, HBCUs, historically black institutions, you know, colleges, but we didn't have that credibility, even though myself and our partners, you know, had experience in the digital marketing space. And so I think it was like 2017, we were developing our website and I saw the finished product. I was pissed. It was just, it just wasn't a good site. If you think of, and this is an important concept for everybody that's listening, you have to look at what your competitive set looks like. And for us at Propellant Media, we are a digital marketing company. We're a digital advertising agency. So our site has to be tight. <laughs> it gotta be. It has to be. There are so many, there are over 40, 50,000 digital marketers out there. <laughs> How do you expect to be even considered, you know, in the competitive set when someone's trying to make a decision? So when I saw the site and it was like just a couple pages, it was thin. I was like, no, this isn't what I, I mean, I'm not saying this isn't what I signed up for, but rather this is not how you scale an organization. Mm -hmm. You can't scale a company with thin content. You can't scale a company with no personality, with nothing of value to people, you know, when they first come to your site. 
And so, you know, I had a little bit of developer experience, but not a ton. But I said, all right, I drew the wireframe of what I wanted. I had a relationship up in New York with someone that did websites. I just redid it myself in partnership with her. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the important lesson I have for everybody who's listening. The first is make sure your site is tight, relevant to the service or the product that you're selling. You got to look at your competitors and just do something that's better than them, period. That's the first thing. But the second thing, it's probably more important than just that, is come from the space of how can I bring value to my customers before they buy from me? Mm. How can I bring value to my customers before they buy from me? If you always come from that mindset, you're going to increase the, increase the propensity in which individuals are going to buy from you. So I'm giving you a great example. You go to Propellant Media site. At first, I was nervous to like put myself out there because there were certain cases where we experienced a level of racism and prejudice because you know there's not a lot of you know, you know, black age, black-owned agencies that are out there. But I just kind of got to play. I said, screw, I'm just going to put my face out there. I started doing more speaking engagements, started recording the videos, started doing more content, more webinars, started writing more ebooks. And I just put it all on the site. I try to make it make the user experience still decent. And people would just always say, yo, I just learned so much and gained so much value. Like, they got to know what they're talking about. <laughs> so why not? I want to rock mm -hmm. with them. And there's a lot of people that build these five page thin websites that doesn't go really deep. Don't do that. Go deep, add your video, put your personality out there because people don't do business with corporations. People do business with people. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the few ways that you can actually make yourself distinct. Like, you know, make something that's different about your company versus, you know, oh, I just go to the site and yeah, there's some good stuff on it, but I don't see the people. I don't see someone talking to the camera. I don't see the team, you know, just little things like that. So those are two things, site and value. You come from those two places, you're going to give yourself many more chances to succeed um, from that perspective. Yeah, no, definitely. And I could, you know, see how as soon as that site was, you know, decent and, you know, the value was there, I'm sure business skyrocketed for you guys. But in that beginning phase, when you did mention you guys were going through a little bit of a, you know, some struggle, what did you, what would you say you guys put in place first? Did you try to focus more so on the people aspect or the systems aspect? Uh, and when I say people, not, you know, working with the, uh, the, the partners that are already, you know, in place, but adding more people to the business or, or adding those systems? You know, I would say that, you know, how do I say this? You know, certainly adding more people um, was, was part of what made the difference, you know, from an operational execution perspective. Um, but I, I feel like it's almost like once we started to, you know, we created a really good site, you know, the business really started to take off the leads for us, we started generating a ton of leads, you know, for our agency, you know, we then started to naturally, man, holy cow, we got to add more people. <laughs> it's kind of how it took shape. Um, and we, you know, there's a couple of people that, um, that I met that one of the, which is, is now a partner within the firm. And he was sort of the impetus to us starting our Charlotte office effectively. And so it was more of like, the business started coming and we had to really service the business rather than we're going to like hire a bunch of people and then just kind of see what happens. And so I, I tell a lot of folks, don't feel like you got to cash strap yourself. Um, feel like you got to like hire a bunch of people and you don't have business coming in. You know, 
you know, you know, try to build like something that's a little bit more automated, you know, something that's like more impound, you know, don't, you know, I know there are a lot of industries out there where you do have to still do sort of your one-on-one, you know, you know, blocking and tackling and, you know, new business development, but, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to scale those kinds of companies, particularly if your average customer values are relatively low. And so, you know, starting with the lead gen side of it, you know, omni-channel marketing, you know, certainly some sales, of course, and then switching over, you know, once the business comes in, you know, if you got higher people, maybe you start with a couple of contractors that you have some really tight relationships with, you vetted them, they've had them on a couple of test projects, and then you can get to that place where, all right, now I'm ready to kind of hire somebody, you know, who's ready to, you know, you know, you know, take over this particular function that's really taken up a lot of my time. And then that's when you start making those intelligence decisions, you know, from that perspective. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. And, you know, I appreciate you giving more clarity on that too. And I would definitely say having those systems and automation is a a big point to stress for, you know, especially new business owners that, you know, are are trying to eliminate themselves out of the business sooner than later. So that, because a lot of people nowadays are stepping into business for that time freedom and time freedom, as we know, comes with automations and and systems uh, for sure. Um, You said that um, uh, you you were able to build, uh, and this was offline, of course, that you were able to build the agency to eight figures without any funding or, you know, acquisitions. How were you able to do that? and, And what was the toughest part about doing so? And when did that change for you? So we reached eight figures in 2001. We were founded about 2015, 16. I'd say really 17, because that's when it, like we really started to like, like really do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it was it was around 2021, and the switch and what really had the impact of that growth. There was a couple of things. Well, it was it was what I said before around the website, and then also like being a marketing company, there's a lot of marketing firms that don't really practice what they preach. Mm. I feel like we do. Like we actually go in and, you know, try to build great campaigns for ourselves. And we are in it regularly trying to, you know, get as much from a legion standpoint for ourselves, our organic SEO, our Facebook, you know, everything we do, even with OTT, we try to be that steward in that testing environment for ourselves, but then ultimately for, our, you know, so that we can share those best practices with clients. And so for us, that's what we've been doing. That's kind of what also led to the growth that we've experienced. But you also kind of get to a point where you're like, all right, well, I need to also put myself in a place where I can be more efficient with like how I generate leads, but then how I service those leads, book demo calls with those leads, you know, push that over to my sales team, you know, those kinds of things. There's one software that I bought for our agency. I see a lot of software out there, um, but it was called HubSpot. HubSpot is like a, a marketing automation software that helps with your marketing automation sales. I think about a lot of the investments that we've made as an agency, it's by far the best. I can't tell you like the flow that we currently have is, you know, when a lead comes in, you know, from our site, first of all, you go to the site, we have pop-ups, we have all types of stuff, but every, any lead, any lead that comes in, any lead, whether you called us, texted us or sent it through a form submission, that leads comes to, we, we have that lead segmented out into different areas and you immediately get an email from us within like a minute or two. 
like a couple minutes, let's call it, let's say like five or 10 minutes. And then we have another follow-up email that really gives you the story of our pricing infrastructure. And we give you tons of opportunities to book a demo with our team. I can't tell you how many like notifications I get, book demo, book demo, book demo, book demo, <laughs> you know, with our team members. And then if you didn't reply to the email, we have a follow-up emails that you get until you reply. And that's when the emails stop. Like, and at one point, if you imagine as an individual, it's very difficult to remember, man, I got to send a follow-up email to this person. Oh, I got to send a follow-up email to this person. Oh, I got to wait a week. Oh, I got to, it does all of it for you, mm. all of it. So if you think about from an operational efficiency standpoint, me as a CEO, I don't have time to do all that. So now it's set up where it just runs and it does its thing. And, you know, it's, it was a, a coupling of, of having that system built and then just having an incredible team that's able to service our clients uh, has really made the difference with the growth that we've experienced to eight figures. And, um, you know, we're, you know, we're just, I feel like we're just kind of a little still scratching the surface. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, it's, that's kind of where things have gone over the last, you know, five plus years. Yeah, no, that's, that's dope. And congratulations on, you know, reaching that eight figure mark and, you know, seeing beyond that as well in the near future too, Justin. Um, I, I know that you have a, a hard stop pretty, uh, pretty soon. And I want to, you know, wrap this up just so we can respect your time, Justin. So yeah. my last question, or not necessarily a question is I definitely want to give you the space, I would say to, you know, plug yourself in, tell our listeners a little bit more about where they can find you, any special projects or programs that you have, you know, coming up and, you know, now's the time to, you know, plug yourself in. Hey, man, I appreciate it. I mean, you know, anyone that's out there, you can always go to propellant.media, you know, but you know, I just tell people that our site, I try to have our website be more of a resource mm -hmm. and just like a marketing, you know, site, like, you know, a thin veil resume kind of thing. Um, and so I think you'll, you'll certainly gain value in terms of the content that's on the site and what we do, who we are as an organization. But the one thing that I want to tell a lot of the entrepreneurs that are out there, this is kind of a little bit more, you know, personal for everyone. Mm -hmm. There are going to be days where you're going to doubt yourself. Like you're probably going to doubt yourself like often. And what I always tell myself is that like, I get like these spouts of anxiety or like, why am I doing this? Am I doing a good job? Am I being a good CEO? You know, am I going in the right direction? And those are just natural feelings. It's okay accept those as sort of those natural feelings. And the one thing that gets me through it is you got to tell yourself that it's going to happen, meaning you're going to get those feelings. It's going to happen. And then they're going to subside and then you're going to get refocused again. And you're just going to keep pushing through. You're going to keep pushing through effectively. That just having that mindset in of itself makes the difference between you being a multimillionaire you know, entrepreneur versus someone that's just kind of like, you know, kind of getting by, maybe make a couple hundred, hundred racks, you know, which is great money. But we're talking about building a sustainable business model that's bringing re real values to people, right? And, you know, you know, that mindset in of itself makes a huge difference. The second thing that I'll tell, tell everybody is you have to be able to develop and implement marketing plans within your companies at some point. You can't just, you know, it's just like if you're trying to build something sustainable, kind of similar, you know, with the podcasting world or content or whatever it is, like you've got to have something that's pulling people in. 
Mm-hmm. It can't just be you trying to pull people in. You got to have a system that's pulling people in, churning those people into a customer and that customer is getting serviced, mm-hmm. right? You can't just do that with sales. Like, yeah, you can maybe send out outbound emails and cold emails to folks and all that, but you know, kind of just take a lot of the advice that I gave at the very beginning. Think about your marketing, you know, put some dollars towards that, test it a bit. Um, and, you know, you'll, you'll get to a place where you're, you're at least getting more knowledge and more insights into what's working and what's not. But, you know, like my mama always says, scare money, don't make money. <laughs> That's true. It don't, it don't. And it definitely, um, without money, you definitely, it's going to be hard to scale too. <laughs> Very hard. So, Very hard. Um, man, Justin, I appreciate, you know, both of those pieces of advice uh, to our millionaires and to our entrepreneurs out there. I'm sure that if people take this episode and apply massive action to, you know, a lot of these principles that you shared, you know, people can see some some great success in their businesses as well. So just yeah. want to say thank you for your time, you know, in, in your afternoon. And as always, I want to thank our millionaires as well for, you know, joining us week in, week out. Uh, and I'm just thankful to have you all a part of the show. You know, thanks in advance for becoming the change agents that you're bound to become, especially if you apply the principles that you heard today. So with that being said, I'm your guy, Kai Speaks. You just heard it from Justin Croxton on the future of digital marketing. Just remember to keep focus, build momentum, and drive results so you can live peacefully. Appreciate that, Kyle.